Let's turn our Bibles not to Numbers chapter number 7. Numbers chapter 7. This is a message I've had on my heart and on my mind for some weeks now. I believe it'd be the mind of the Lord tonight. Numbers chapter number 7 this evening. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. I want to read to you and I want to preach to you on uh, maybe a little bit of an unknown topic this evening. But I believe it'd be the mind of God. Numbers chapter 7, uh, verse number 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and the vessels, all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And Moses and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen, he gave unto the sons of Mirari, according unto their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in the house of God. Thank you for the good service we had this morning, the way that you moved and worked in our hearts and minds and lives. And Lord, we're mindful to praise you for what you've done. We've also come tonight expectant, looking for you to do a work in us. Lord, we need you. We don't just desire you. Lord, we need you. And so I pray that you'd work in our midst tonight and that you gain glory unto yourself through it. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In Numbers chapter number 7, we find Moses setting in order and setting up the Old Testament tabernacle, which was the place and house of worship for the children of Israel, until the day that God, by the hand of Solomon, built a temple in the land of Israel. But we're not at the far end of this history. We're actually at the beginning of this history. And much had to be set in order and much had to be organized in regards to the setting up and the tearing down and the transportation of this moving place of worship. When we read our text here tonight, we find that the uh, children of Israel, the heads of the tribes, had brought six wagons to Moses that they might be used in the transport of the material of the tabernacle. You know, one of the things I love about my Bible, God is a God of order. Nothing is done just haphazardly, and everything's done with deliberate and careful attention. And we find that God had set a, a certain order as to how the tabernacle was to be set up, but also how it was to be torn down and who exactly was to carry what material and how they were to be carried. And so Moses takes of these six wagons and he distributes them according to the offices of the children of Levi. Now, Levi, of course, was the son of Jacob uh, back in the land of Canaan. And Levi would go on to have three sons. He would have a son named Gershon and a son named uh, Mirari, and a son named Kohath. 
These three men, they would uh, comprise the three branches or families into which the rest of the descendants, which we come to number seven, they number in the hundreds of thousands, would be divided. And it would be according to those families that God would distribute their labor and their service. And we find that each of these families had certain responsibilities of what they were to carry. For instance, in Numbers 4, verses 29 through 33, we'll not take the time to read there, but I'll give you the reference so you can read it in your own time. We find that the sons of Mirari, their responsibility was to bear the boards and the bars and the pillars and the sockets of the tabernacle when it was moved. I'd remind you that the tabernacle is a sort of temporary structure. It's a sort of tent. But it was not a tent in the way we would think of it, being held up only by a a stick or a rod here or there. There was actually a loose constructive structure to the uh, tabernacle, and it was connected by these sockets and bars and pins that were used to hold it together. Well, the sons of Mirai, when the tabernacle was taken down and, and disassembled, it was their job to gather all the boards and all of the bars and all of the pillars and all of the sockets and load them into these wagons and to carry them forth. We find in that same chapter, verses 24 through 26, that the sons of Gershon, it was their responsibility to carry the curtains and the coverings and the hangings. After this loose structure, this sort of skeletal structure of the tabernacle was set up, there were then these vast, large, heavy curtains that were taken and laid over top and and staked down, and that was what provided the covering over the tabernacle. And when they disassembled the tabernacle, it was the responsibility of the Gershonites, the sons of Gershon, to gather all these curtains and all these hangings and all of these coverings and to pack them away and to carry them in their wagons. But when we come to this third family, I am struck by a statement that is given in verse number 9. The Bible says in our text that to the sons of Gershon were given a number of wagons. To the sons of Miriah were given a number of wagons. But the Bible says in verse 9, but unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. You say, well, preacher, maybe they had nothing to carry. Maybe their burden was so light it was insignificant. But in fact, we find when we study the history that the sons of Kohath, far from bearing that which was least important, they actually bore that which was most important. And far from carrying something that had no weight to it, they actually carried material that had much weight to it. In fact, we're told in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bury it, but they shall not touch an holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Did you notice in that text, it says that after they had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, In fact, the sons of Kohath, it was not their job just to carry the boards and the planks and the pillars and sockets, important as that may have been. And it wasn't their job to carry the curtains and the coverings and the hangings, important as that may have been. But the sons of Kohath, they actually carried the holy furniture and utensils that were used in the worship of the tabernacle. 
In fact, it would have been the sons of Kohath whose job it was to carry not just the vessels and utensils, but they would have carried the very Ark of the Covenant itself, the manifest token of God's presence in this world and the place where God would meet with His people and would pardon their sins. It was their job to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And if I read my Bible right, I find this, that God gave wagons to those carrying the boards And God gave wagons to those carrying the curtains. But unto the sons of Kohath, He gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. In other words, Moses says, well, boys, here's some wagons to make your load lighter. Looks at the other family and says, here's some wagons to make your load lighter. But when he looked at the Kohathites, he said, you'll get no wagon and you'll get no help, and you'll get no relief in bearing this burden. You know, I bet they ask this question. This is what I want to preach on tonight. Where's my wagon? Where's my wagon? You ever feel like you're tasked with carrying burdens in life, and you look at others whom it seems like God will sweep in and intervene in their life and and lift their burdens and make their way easier and provide them some relief and some respite from their burdens and their struggles. And you say, preacher, I'm trying to serve God and I'm trying to please the Lord and I'm trying to do my best, but I see others whose loads are lifted and mine just seems to grow heavier. And maybe you find yourself asking the same question, Lord, where's my wagon in life? And why can't I have my burdens lifted off of me? I want you to consider a few thoughts tonight. It may help us to understand a little bit of why this was done and what is meant. You know, when I look at this passage of Scripture, the very first thing that had to come uh, into the notice of the Kohathites was the bestowing of the burdens that God had. You know, I'm sure they would have probably said, Lord, you ain't got to give me a wagon, just take away my burden. You ever feel like that? I, sometimes I look to heaven and say, Lord, I don't need a miracle. I just need some mercy. Amen. I don't need you to come move a mountain. I need you to quit leading me at the foot of them. God, I, I'm not asking you to part the Red Sea. I'm just asking you to give me a boat. Lord, I'm just asking for a little help. And I'm sure that the sons of Kohath probably looked at the burdens as they were distributed and thought to themselves, why is it that God has put this upon us? No doubt we often consider the question, Lord, why do I have to suffer under this? And I see others who often are less faithful, less dedicated, less consecrated, that seem to not have to experience the same struggles. But I note when I read my Bible, two things that gives me encouragement. I'd say, number one, it is obvious that these were distributed differently. The Bible makes it abundantly clear in our text. Verse 7, two wagons he gave unto the sons of Gershon. Verse number 8, four wagons he gave unto the sons of Mary. And verse 9, unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. I'm going to tell you an obvious truth, and you may not need to hear it tonight, but the reality is we don't all bear the same burdens. We don't all go through the same thing. And I think to myself, now, here is the sons of Kohath looking at the sons of Gershon and saying, they got two more wagons than I've got. But then here's the sons of Gershon looking at the sons of Mary and saying, but they got two more than I've got. And can I tell you something? It is folly to spend your life comparing your burdens to everybody else's burdens. It will help you a lot more to recognize that this is a fact of life. Not everybody's going to go through the same thing. Not everybody's going to bear the same thing. And it ain't because God loves this and He don't love that. And it's because God's doing something in each individual distinct life, in providence, in purpose, and in perfection. 
When I read this, I note that they were distributed differently, but then I notice this, they were distributed deliberately. And you're going to say, well, preacher, why do you, why do you say that? I mean, the sons of Kohath, surely they could have used for their burden to have been alleviated. But oh, I notice when I, when I read this, I notice that God was very deliberate in how He distributed these wagons. I mean, it wasn't just simply that the sons of Mary showed up first, so they got four, and the sons of Gershon showed up second, so they got two, and the sons of Kohath showed up, and they're fresh out of wagons. No, it was deliberate how God distributed these burdens. Can I tell you, everything God does, He does deliberately. I see that that to those that were carrying the heaviest load, the sons of Mary carrying those gold-covered boards and bars and pillars and sockets, he gave them four wagons. You say, preacher, why? Because they needed four wagons. I find to uh, the sons of, of Gershon carrying those, no doubt, heavy curtains of badger's skin and the heavy tapestries that were part of the covering of the tabernacle. I mean, he gave two. He didn't give four because they weren't carrying the bars and the boards. But he gave two because that was necessary for the work. And listen to me carefully. Just as deliberately as he gave the four, he kept back the rest. He was as deliberate in giving the sons of Mary four as he was in giving the sons of Kohath none. Here's what we sometimes think. We sometimes think God gets a little slack in the administration of this universe and we sometimes look at it. I know I do. You may not. You probably don't. You're probably more spiritual than me. But sometimes in my fleshly moments, I look at it and I say, God, do you know what you're doing in this situation? God, do you know what you're doing in my life? God, why is it that I have to deal with this and they don't have to deal with this? Why is it that I have to struggle under this heavy load and they don't have to struggle under this heavy load? We often look and say, God, if I had the liberty they had, I'd do a hundred times more with it than what they've ever hoped to do. But here's the reality. The God that put the burdens where He put them did it on purpose for a reason and He knows what's best. It's not an indictment against the sons of Kohath. In fact, we'll find that it was great privilege that God gave them. But funny thing about it, hey, listen, it only looks like a privilege when it ain't you that's bearing the burden. I mean, when all you got to do is read about it, it sounds mighty nice. But I bet if you were the sons of Kohath, you would have had different thoughts about what that experience was. And I'm just telling you, hey, listen, if you're not careful, even in the bestowing of the burdens, you'll allow bitterness to set in. You'll look at it and say, God, why? Why do I have to deal with this? And no one else has to. I tell you, I, I, I wish I'd go back to when life was simple. I mean it. I, when, when everything was just figured out with a bow on it, put in a nice little box, and I understood everything. You remember that? You was about 16, amen? Me too. But now we live in, in, in life, and if we're to be transparent, if we're to be honest about it, man, there, there's often that God zags when we thought he'd zig. There's often that God does things that I cannot explain. And that's no surprise. This walk is a walk of faith. But I also am mindful of the fact that when you're weighed down under a heavy burden, that you see others not having to bear. If we're not careful, we'll let bitterness take root. We'll begin to question God's providence and wisdom and His love for us. Can I tell you this? Hey, it was the same love that gave the four wagons to the sons of Mary that kept them all back from the sons of Kohath. It was the same perfect love that knew what they needed and that knew what he was going to use them for that distributed them deliberately. I see the bestowing of the burdens. But then I think about the bearing of the burdens. Burdens are difficult to bear. That's why they're burdens. And I'll go ahead and tell you that if your anticipation is that because you're a Christian, 
When you bear a burden, it's going to be this transcendent experience. I'm sorry to report to you that's not the case. Your burdens are going to be hard, just like a lost person's burdens would be hard. When you have questions, they'll nag you just like they would if you was a lost person. And I'm not in any way diminishing the sweet power and peace and presence of God in the midst of it. We'll say a word about that here in a moment. But I'm just saying, if you think being a Christian means your burdens ain't heavy, I'm sorry, friend, you've been misinformed. And I see that they had difficulty carrying their burden just like anybody would. Preacher, they're priests of the Most High God. Yeah, and they're human. Preacher, they're holy men tasked with a holy calling. Yeah, and they're they're human. Preacher, they were Old Testament saints that were marching under the promise of God and with the presence of God. Yeah, and they're human. And their burdens were heavy just like your burdens are heavy. I thought about what would have made these Burdens heavy, and the first is obvious, and that's the weight of carrying the burden. It must have been difficult. The Ark of the Covenant was not a large piece of furniture. In fact, if you didn't know this, most remembrance tables are built in very similar dimensions to replicate sort of the size. And so when you talk about the Ark of the Covenant, you're talking about a a, a box that would have been about this same size. But you know, the Bible describes it as overlaid completely with gold. The Bible describes all of the other various utensils and furniture of the most holy place where God would meet with His people. And and most of them were overlaid with gold and they would have been very heavy and they would have been very dense and they would have been very difficult to carry and and place after place. And and by the way, hey, listen, mm, hey, if you want God to move, you're going to have to carry a burden. I'm sure the sons of Kohath probably rejoiced when God said, This spot's good enough. And every time God was on the march, it meant them picking up fresh burdens. I'm sure that was not easy. Probably produced in them a bittersweet mixture of hope, excitement, and dread when the news came that God had spoken to Moses and that the camp was on the move again. And I've learned to experience that in life or learned to see that. We're getting ready to have our church camp. I love church camp. And even if I didn't, I wouldn't tell you. I love church camp. Our veteran camp workers know that camp is always a a spiritual battlefield. I tell our camp workers every year, there will be somebody. There's been not just one year, but multiple years I felt like I was the one. And probably in those years, other people felt like they were too. But it seems like every year the devil picks somebody out and says, that's him. I'm going to ride him all week. I could tell you story after story of things happening that uh, that that a, a humanist would call a wild coincidence. We understand to have been spiritual warfare. And every year it's like that. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I love camp. I'm excited for camp. I believe in it. We wouldn't do it if we didn't believe in it. But I always feel like I'm lacing up my battle boots, when we're getting ready to go to camp. Because I know, hey, God's going to be on the move. But that's going to mean there's some burdens to carry. God's going to be on the move. But that's going to mean there's going to be some battles to have. I'm just telling you in your life, if you want an easy life with no burdens, then just go ahead and sit down and don't move when God moves. 
But if you're going to move when God moves, if you're going to go where God goes, if you're going to expect for God to work, then it's going to involve carrying some burdens. I see the weight of carrying the burden, but then surely this had to be something they were challenged by, the weight of questioning the burden. I'd say the hardest thing for them was just wondering why they didn't get a wagon. You know, it's funny how much heavier your burdens become when you begin to compare them with others' burdens. Let me tell you how to make your burdens weigh 50 tons. Just start looking around and trying to find somebody with a lighter burden. You'll find them whether you've really found them or not. Can I tell you the truth? Half the time you don't know what burdens people are carrying. There's people, hey, listen, there's people sitting 15, 20 feet from you. You wouldn't imagine what they're facing. You wouldn't imagine the things they're experiencing. But you see them come into the house of God and smile and worship the Lord. And you'd never dream of the burdens they're carrying. And here you sit, bent low under the burden God's placed upon you. And you'll look across the pew and say, that person has no worries. They have no troubles. They have no problems. And your burden will get ten times heavier when ain't none of it true. It's part of the reason we endeavor. And listen, we all ought to have tact and discretion. We ought not give sin or the devil glory. And we certainly ought not stir up drama and nonsense. But there's danger in being fake too. Because if we're not careful, we'll give people the idea that, that, that when they see us at our best, they've seen us at our worst. And that's not true. The fact of the matter is, every one of us, We have burdens that we experience in life. I'm uninterested in comparing notes with your burdens, except just to tell you this, you ain't alone. My burden may not weigh what yours does. I may not have to carry it like you carry yours. I may not have to walk the same path you walk. But friend, you're not the only one with a burden tonight. And if you're not careful, you'll get your mind and heart spun up such that you'll be looking around and thinking, I'm the only one carrying a burden. I think about the sons of Kohath bearing the ark. And it's interesting because there would have been a minimum of four men that would have been bearing that ark. And it's interesting to think that as they were carrying it, they would have had a blind spot. They would have carried it upon their shoulder. And for those on the right side, they could have seen nothing on the left. And for those on the left side, they could have seen nothing on the right. Remember years ago going to the Outer Banks fishing trip with some buddies and we all piled in the back of this little Dodge hatchback and I was the lucky one that got to ride in the back with the fishing cart. If you don't know what a fishing cart is, it's a big aluminum cart that you put a cooler in. And there's two things I'm going to say about that trip. I'm going to say this. Number one, it's a beautiful drive looking out the right-hand window on the way to the Outer Banks. But it's a boring drive looking out that window on the way back. And second, I'm going to say this, a fish cart smells a lot worse at the end of a fishing trip than it does at the beginning of one. But driving down the road, my view, my field of view was limited. I See, listen, I was only getting half the picture. You listen to me, I was only getting half the picture. And if you were the man standing at the front marching that direction on the right side or on the left side, you couldn't see the fellow behind you. You couldn't even see the others that were helping you bear the burdens. And you'd get to thinking you was the only one carrying anything. The fact of the matter is, if the burden hadn't been shared, it couldn't have been carried. 
And I look at my life and think to myself, had it not been for the people of God, sometimes I couldn't even see them, but I could sure feel them carrying, holding up the other side. The burden would have never been carried. But you see, if you're not careful, that questioning of the burden will become heavier than the carrying of the burden. Job experienced this. Job, probably never a man suffered like Job suffered. But his biggest struggle, his his greatest burden was that he couldn't understand why God was doing this to him. All throughout the book of Job, his major complaint is, I don't understand what God's doing. I can't find him. I can't figure him. (laughs) I can't change him. And here I am just simply at his mercy. And here I am just waiting for him to make himself known. Hey, by the way, God did make himself known. But Job's greatest burden was not the ten children that he buried. It wasn't the loss of his wealth or the confidence of his wife or of his health. The greatest burden he carried was not carrying, it was questioning. And it made his load much heavier than it had to be. I see the bestowing of the burdens and I see the bearing of the burden. And you say, preacher, if you're not careful, you're going to bless me till I'm discouraged to no end. <laughs> so let me say a quick word about the boundaries of the burden. There's a question we've not asked nor answered tonight. And it's that infinite question that we all ask when we're bearing burdens. Why? Why, God? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I facing this and sometimes i'm going to be honest you ain't going to get an answer to that question there's going to be some burdens you're going to carry that ain't going to be till you look on the face of jesus that you understand why you're going through what you're going through but see with these boys here we don't have to go far to learn why when we come to the new te- or to the uh to uh, the time of david we find that there was a time that david and his followers sought to depart from the model of having the Kohathites carry the ark and the holy vessels. The ark had been taken. It had been gone from Israel for about 20 years. And one of the things that God blessed David with is allowing David to recover the ark and to bring it back to the land of, of Israel and back to Shiloh was the place initially where uh, they worshiped the Lord. And then David, of course, moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem to bring it back to that holy place and, and to worship the Lord. But the Bible tells us that when they were doing this, they did not have the Kohathites carry it. The Bible says this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Ahinadab, drave the new cart. Here we could not have a clearer case text, a almost scientific example of why it's important that we bear that burden on our shoulders. David said, this is silly. No reason to burden the Kohathites. Somebody get these people a wagon. Can I tell you, and I, I don't, I got too much message to preach to be taking all these detours, but sometimes people meaning well will try to get you a wagon when God doesn't want you to have a wagon. 
Sometimes well-meaning people will try to come along and they'll try to through superficial means, through their own ability and their own resources, to get you a wagon when if God wanted you to have a wagon, He's got a whole stable of wagons for you to have. God, hey, listen, God didn't refrain from giving the Kohathites a wagon because He was short on wagons. He could have given them a wagon if He wanted. He wanted them to bear the burden for a purpose. When we come to this text here in 2 Samuel 6, we learn why, because they took it and they put it on this new cart, and they drave it on this new cart. And the Bible says this in verse 6, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. Now you understand that all of mankind was forbidden of touching that ark. But Uzzah reached out and touched it. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible says, For the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. Hey, let me tell you something. That burden may be protecting you far more than you realize. I'm sure that this would have never happened had the Kohathites been bearing it upon their shoulder. And that begs this question, why then did God prescribe this? Why did God require them to carry it? Upon their shoulder. Well, I see two reasons. Number one, to maintain their footing. The moment it left their shoulder, the first bump in the road, and the ark of God was getting tossed around. You see, the reason he had them bear it upon their shoulders is because of the nimbleness and care and deftness and dexterity that they would have. And no doubt for the Kohathites, when they bore that burden on their shoulder, they no doubt watched every footstep and every footfall, careful and cautious to keep the ark of God up and to not allow themselves to accidentally touch it and die as a reason for it. Can I tell you this? Hey, that burden might be helping you keep your footing better than you realize. That thing that you didn't ask for, that thing that you're begging God to take away, that thing that sometimes in your flesh you get angry at God, that you're having to bear it, that may be the very thing that's keeping you close and keeping you clean and keeping you circumspect. It might be, were it not for that, that you'd be all shook around by this world's interests. But because you're having to bear that burden, you're watching where your feet fall. been many a time in my life I think to myself, were it not... For God keeping me busy with burdens, there's no telling the mess I would have gotten in. It was meant to maintain their footing, but then there's a second reason. It was meant to maintain their fear. Uzzah did something, and in fact, it's interesting. David gets angry at God over this. He gets angry that God killed Uzzah because Uzzah was a a righteous man and a good man. And, and, And David feels like God has been unjust in this because Uzzah had good intentions. He was just trying to protect and reach out and carry and keep the ark of God. And in that process, David felt like it wasn't right because he felt like he had just done a knee jerk thing in a moment to try to make things better. And therein lies the whole truth behind the lesson. It's that he wasn't operating in faith. He was operating in in, in, in a, a carnal fear. And in that moment, here's what he did. He did what was natural instead of what was scriptural. He lost his fear. He lost his, his reverence. He lost his sense of hallowedness for that utensil, for that vessel. And he reached out and touched it like it was just a common box. And I tell you, in our life, sometimes the burdens that we bear are meant to keep us in a right disposition towards God. I don't know about you, man, but when things are going easy, I don't know why, I guess because I'm dumb, I get to thinking I don't need Him. 
When things start going well, I mean, that's just my flesh, and I bet it's yours too when things start going well. I just start thinking, I just don't need Him anymore. But I'll tell you this, man, when the burdens are heavy, I'm reminded daily how desperately I need His help. Hey, there were some boundaries of this burden, but then I would say this tonight, there were some blessings of this burden too. There were some things they enjoyed because of how they were to carry this burden that no one else got to enjoy. Listen, I'm not suggesting you ought to, you ought to treasure your burdens, but you ought to praise Him for them. I'm not even saying you ought to enjoy your burdens, but you ought to glorify Him for them. Because He knows what He's doing. I think about two things they enjoyed because of the nature of their calling. One of the things that's interesting in Numbers 10, you know, again, God's a God of order and everything that they did had, had careful direction and prescription for how it was to be carried out. And even whenever the camp moved, there was an order in which the camp was commanded to move. And it's interesting when you study it because this is the order in which the camp would move. You remember there's 12 tribes of Israel. The tribe of Levi is essentially replaced by the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so so there's 12 tribes for the children of Israel. And listen to how whenever the whole camp would set forward and move, listen to the order they moved in. The first thing that would happen is the tribe of Judah would go forth. It's in my message, but you know Judah means praise? Judah always went first. When, when God was moving, praise went first. When the camp was on the march, praise went first. The preacher, I want God to start moving. Go ahead and praise Him. He'll start moving. Judah would go first. They'd be followed by Issachar, the tribe of Issachar. The tribe of Zebulun would then follow. Behind them would come six wagons. Four for the sons of Miriah and two for the sons of Gershon that would be carrying and bearing all of the structural material of the tabernacle. Behind them would be the tribe of Reuben. Behind them, the tribe of Simeon. Behind them, the tribe of Gad. Then would come the sons of Kohath bearing the ark. Behind them would be the tribe of Ephraim. Behind them, the tribe of Manasseh, and then Benjamin, and then Dan, and then Asher, and then Naphtali. I don't know, uh, you know, we live in a day of common core math, so I'll talk slow, amen, but Let's just do a little math. That'd be all right. Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Reuben, Simeon, Gad. That's six, isn't it? Then the sons of Kohath. After the sons of Kohath, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, and then finally Naphtali. See, here's the thing. When they were on the move, the ark of God was in the dead center of the procession. Now, that may not mean a lot to you. You may say, well, preacher, maybe there's some deep spiritual reason for that. No, but there's a real deep safety reason for that. They're a massive group of wandering individuals. They are exposed. They are in the elements. And no doubt God had placed the ark in the midst, not only that it might be a safety for the children of Israel, but that they might be a safety for them. And here's what I'm saying. There was no one that was safer than the sons of Kohath. Bearing their burdens, they had everybody watching their back. Bearing their burdens there with their hands and arms upon these responsibilities and these burdens. The men around them knew they could carry no weapon. They could offer no fight. They could uh, engage in no flight. They were simply at the mercy of those around them. And so God put them where they were safer than anyone else. Preacher, I don't like this burden. I don't blame you. 
I don't like it for you either, and I don't like mine either, and I hope you don't like mine for me. But can I tell you this? We're never safer than when we're in the heart and center of the will of God. And when we're bearing a burden that we've prayed for God to take away, and He won't do it, then we know that at least in the matter of the burden, we're in the will of God. Never safer than when you're in the will of God. They were safer than anyone else. But then I'm struck by the fact that, you know, when when the presence of God would move with the camp, it would move before in front of the camp. But whenever God would meet with Moses, He actually says in the Old Testament that the establishment of the mercy seat was His seat and His throne. And that this would be the place where he would meet with the children of Israel. He would meet with the high priest. He he would accept the atonement for their sins as it was given. This is the place where God sat down on earth and met with his people. You think about these other Israelites, some of whom would have been miles away from it. But to those bearing the burden, they're only a few inches from where God meets with his people. Hey, let me say it this way. They were safer than anyone else, but number two, they were closer than anyone else. They got to see things no one else got to see. They got to hear things no one else got to hear. They got to feel things that no one else got to feel. They were closer to God than anyone else except Moses could have hoped to have been. And it was all because of the burdens that they were bearing. I don't think it's some great badge of honor to bear burdens. If it is, I'll let you have my badge. Amen. I'll honor you with it. (laughs) I don't think that we ought to look at every burden and say, Oh, goody, I guess there's a good thing coming my way. I'm not so naive as to think our mind works that way. But if I read my Bible correctly, we ought to recognize at least this simple truth. That when God puts us in a place and puts on us things that we can't carry... It's because he plans to sidle up beside us and help us carry him. Paul learned this truth. He described a messenger sent from uh, Satan, a, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger sent to buffet him, uh, some malady that he experienced. And the Holy Ghost is deliberate in its ambiguity concerning the nature of it. But evidently this thing in Paul's life was such a burden that he prayed three times for God to take it away. And I don't think that's saying that he just three times over a meal he asked God to take it away. I think what Paul's saying is three times that went on and then off my prayer list. Three times it went on my prayer list and twice I thought I had peace to deal with it. I thought I had peace to accept it and then it just got too heavy again and I brought it to God and I asked God again to take it away. Paul's answer... God's answer to Paul is simply this, no. No. No, Paul. You know, a lot of commentators believe it was a uh, eye malady, ophthalmalia, which is a bit of an ancient term, outdated in a medical sense, but essentially that, that he was going blind. We would liken it today to like macular degeneration where his eyesight is just diminishing more and more and more. And in fact, when you study uh, Paul's writings, you find that the only time that that we know of at least, that he wrote and did not use someone else to pin it down. He, he describes how when he wrote to the church at Galatia, how large of letters that he wrote. And he doesn't mean the volume of the book. The book of Galatia is not a big book of the Bible. He's talking about the big clumsy characters that he wrote in. Hey, by the way, isn't it a precious thought that God can write even in big clumsy characters? Some of us are big clumsy characters. Amen. God can even write in big clumsy characters. And God used Paul to do that. And I'm sure Paul thought to himself, now, 
You know, if I didn't have this malady, imagine, God, what all I could do for you. Paul would later on, some to some degree of his own choice, and certainly by the hand of providence, would find himself in jail for the witness of, of Jesus Christ. And, and no doubt Paul thought, imagine how many churches I could be planting. Imagine how many people I could be winning to Christ. Imagine how much I could be doing for God were I not having to bear this burden. And I'm sure he thought to himself, if I had my health, if I had my sight, imagine how much I could do for God. And he begged God, God, take it away. You take it away. I promise I'll live for you. I'll do things for you. I'll serve you. God, I'll be the best that I've ever been for you. And still God's answer was no, Paul. Paul, your your service is to bear it upon your shoulders and to have no wagon. Paul said in response to that, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here's how Paul carried his burden. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, the thing that Paul was begging for God to take away the most was the thing that God was getting the most glory out of Paul's life in. The thing that he thought was hindering him was the thing that was making him closest and keeping his most dependent upon the Lord. You say, preacher, are there blessings and burdens? Sure there are. And I'm not saying that I desire them, and I'm not saying you should desire them, but I'm saying if it's the lot and portion of God, you can either get bitter about it, or you can trust in the Lord and say, God, I'm going to look to you and see your purpose in what you're doing. I see they were safer than anyone else, and they were closer than anyone else. But you know, there's a, there's a final little thought here I want to share, and then I'm done. I want you to turn with me. I didn't have you do that with the other text, but turn with me to 1 Chronicles 23. Would you do that? It's easy to find right before 2 Chronicles. If you can find that, you'll be all right. Amen. 1 Chronicles, chapter number 23. Now, many long years have passed. David is getting ready to die. And he is instructing to Solomon how he needs to set up the tabernacle after his death. Of course, God will use Solomon. It won't be a tabernacle then. It will be a temple, a permanent structure. Before David died, he set all these instructions in order by by the wisdom of God so that all Solomon had to do was just step in and just start building. You know, that that burden, that, that presents a question to me. Now think about these three families, the tribes of Levi, the sons of Miriah, the sons of Gershon, the sons of Kohath. All of them, part of their chief responsibility is to move the tabernacle. But what happens when the tabernacle moves no more? The Bible says in verse 25, David said, The Lord God of Israel hath given rest unto his people, that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also unto the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle, nor any vessels of it, for the service thereof. Let me just in closing notice the beyond the burden. What do you mean, preacher? Listen, I I know it's difficult. We don't understand everything about the bestowing of the burden. I understand the difficulty of bearing the burden. I understand there's boundaries that are bestowed upon us in the burdens. I know there's blessings in the burdens. Let me say, thank God, there is a beyond, beyond the burdens. You ain't going to carry that burden forever. 
God didn't say, all right, now put it on your shoulder and march in circles because I enjoy seeing you struggle. When they got to the place of permanent residency, God said, lay them burdens down, you'll carry them no more. You and I, we are tent dwellers in this world. Pilgrims, strangers, sojourners. And as such, when we're marching through the wilderness of this world, there are burdens to carry. But thank God there's coming a day that we can lay those burdens down. And I see there's rest after the burden. I don't know when that'll come for you. It might not be till you get to heaven. I hope that's not true. I hope your burdens get lifted from you a lot sooner than that. But you know, I was reading a passage the other day. Paul pinned down, he was talking about us in this life and the, the brevity of this life and our attitude towards it. And he said this, he said, for our light affliction, our light affliction, there's people would quit church over saying that to them. I'm serious. What do you mean my light affliction, preacher? Don't you know? Hey, it's what Paul said. Paul said our light affliction. Well, he must have not known anything about, about Suffering. He'll hit you in the mouth you get to heaven. Amen. Don't think you won't do it. He about hit a high priest in the mouth in the book of Acts. Amen. I don't, I wouldn't mess with him. Hey, he, he struggled. He suffered. He said our light affliction. Say, well, preacher, it may be a light affliction, but I've dealt with it all my life. He said, which is but for a moment. But for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He, in the book of Romans, talked about how that our sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. I understand heaven will fix all of it. Preacher, you don't know the tears that I've cried. No, but God's put them in a bottle. And He'll be no man's debtor. And I promise you heaven will be worth it all. Paul said it ain't even worthy to be compared. If we could see heaven for what it is and understand, you say, preacher, lo, these many long years I've carried this burden. Well, I got good news for you. You're going to spend a lot more time in eternity with no burdens than you've spent in this world with all these burdens. And there is rest after the burdens. But then I, I thought about this. Here's, I just, I just think about things sometimes. I, when I need to think about things, I don't. When I, when I, mm, I just thought about this, you know, so what they do, their job is to carry the tabernacle. Now they don't have to carry the tabernacle. What do they do? Well, you know, the Bible tells us earlier in this chapter at the beginning of it in 1 Chronicles 23, listen to what it says. Verse 1, so when David was old and full of days, (laughs) he made Solomon his son king over Israel. And he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and Levites. Now, the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles, man by man, was 30 and 8,000, of which 20 and 4,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord, and 6,000 were officers and judges. Moreover, 4,000 were porters, and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. And David divided them into courses among the sons of Levi, Namely, Gershon, Kohath, and Miriah. So, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. 
They spent all those long years, their daddies, their granddaddies, their great granddaddies, whose job was to carry a heavy burden through a dry, hot desert. But when they finally get to the place of rest, they lay their burdens down. And now their job is not to carry that burden anymore. Well, what are they going to do? What's their job going to be? God sticks a harp in their hands and says, I just want you to sing unto me and praise me and glorify me. I would say this, there's rest after the burden. But praise God, there's rejoicing after the burden. (laughs) Think about it. Hey, there came a time that their only job was just talk about how good he was. Just to praise Him for how good He was. No more burdens to carry. No more heavy weights to have to carry through life. Their only job is to sing of His goodness and grace and mercy and faithfulness. And their whole job is just to rejoice in Him. I'll tell you this, twofold truth and I'm done tonight. Thank God there's coming a day that our chief job will be rejoicing. Oh, I understand. I don't have no delusions about us in white robes with wings and halos in heaven in some choir. I understand. I can read my Bible. But listen, if you think for one moment that heaven's going to be a quiet, demure, composed place, you need to read your Bible. It ain't a place. Hey, listen, (laughs) it ain't a place. The Bible goes out of its way to describe a period of time where it was silent in heaven. You know what that tells me? God made note of it because normally there's a lot of noise going on in heaven. And when we read through the book of Revelation in the presence of God, hey, there's shouting, there's weeping, there's singing, there's rejoicing, there's praising. And thank God there's coming a day where we ain't going to have no more burdens to bury and to carry anymore. But all we'll be doing is praising Him. Let me also make this application, not only in the life to come, but in this life. There's rejoicing after the burden. See, right now you think all you'll ever do is carry this burden. You can't see a way out of it. You can't see a way it can change. And you think this is the only thing that you're ever going to experience. There's going to come a day you're going to stand up in the house of God and lift your hand towards heaven. If you're honest with the Lord, you will. And you'll have to say, you know, I never thought I'd see it through, but God saw me through. Once you lay them burdens down, and I'll say this, you don't have to wait till you lay them down to rejoice. You can rejoice even while you carry them. But certainly there's going to come a day. It ain't always going to be like this. I don't know when and I don't know how and I know if nothing else, heaven will fix it all. But I'm just here to encourage you tonight to say this, those burdens that you despise, that you that you don't understand, that you pray and beg God to take away and He's not done it. I'm not asking you to love those burdens, but I am asking you to lean on the God that gave them to you and to love Him and trust Him that He has a purpose in it and His ways are perfect. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes. I just want to give you an opportunity to pray tonight. If God has spoken to your heart, would you meet him down here? You might be dealing with things I don't have a clue about. wouldn't surprise me if that was true. Things that you've told nobody about, or maybe things that you have shared with many others. Whatever it is, and whatever that burden is, won't you carry it right down to the altar and bring it to the Lord and ask God to give you the right spirit and perspective, the faith, the rejoicing, the joy that you need and that only comes from him. Preacher, where's my wagon? Well, I'll tell you this. If God hadn't give you one, it's because he's going to walk right beside you and help you carry it the whole way. Altar's open. God spoke to your heart. Would you meet him down here? The altar's open. I invite you to come. God spoke to your heart. Meet him.